misses. Brock isn't dead. It's just sleuthing. With your host, Willie Whitebread, and Mark Audio Slave Stewart. Hey, motherfuckers, welcome back to another episode of Rock Isn't Dead. It's just sleeping with yours truly, Willie Whitebread. Mark the audio slay. And I want to welcome back our favorite guest star, Delta Drew Pearson. Welcome back. What up? Welcome back. He is a blues aficionado, so he had to be back for this follow-up segment from our last episode about the origination of the blues music in America. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, where, where did we leave off last uh, last episode? Where do we, Well, we left off with, I think, the 50s, the mid-50s blues uh blues segments in america kind of the chicago right, blues right, scene right. the west coast blues scene um so for those of you that didn't watch last time we we spoke a lot about how the entire basis for rock and roll obviously you have different uh you know jazz chords in there you've got jazz progressions you've got classical influences from composers and things of that nature but the primary uh contribution to modern rock and roll that you know today came from the blues Right, right. Absolutely. And if you know anything about rock and roll music throughout time, even if you don't, you can probably recognize it as we say it. There has always been an, a slightly esoteric and consistent battle of the musical notes between British and American. Different scenes. Now we're talking. You know what I mean? See, but you got to think about a lot of the Americans were sent over to Britain by record companies to do specifically that they were like hey you know you're a really good blues artist but you know uh we're not going to get you you know signed here in america yeah, you're not you're not american you're, you're not that good. good so but we're going to send yeah. you over to britain and then once you impress those guys over there we're going to send you back to america then you can do your u.s well, tour i think that's also partially because that that america was still stuck in the blues was still fairly new even though it had been around for a couple decades at this point it was still fairly new because you know you didn't have streaming, you didn't have any any anything like that. You didn't have giant outdoor festivals like you were seeing in the '60s. Uh, it was it was a lot of word of mouth, right? And I think right. America was still un, not unaccepting, but kind of naive to to the the blues movement and to also to progression in in rock and rolls. Because if you see if you look at rock and roll in America throughout the decades, everything starts as new wave and everything starts as very unaccepted by critics. See, the way that I see it is is that with the blues back in that time period, uh, America was going through uh, differences with racial. Uh, Correct. Black and white. And, Correct. And the music industry realized that the blues was that good, and they took it across seas to show how good the music was. Right. America wasn't seeing it. People were listening to uh, Elvis Presley, people were right. still listening to show tunes, you know what right. I'm saying? And see, though, this is the thing, though. You didn't have... Um, you're, you're exactly right in that. And another big influence on that, and why I think that they were sending these artists to Britain is because Briti the British uh, movement, they recognized something progressive earlier on than America did. They recognized talent. They exactly. They color. Exactly. They and, didn't have those problems. I'm going to be very prominent about that because that's what it was. Absolutely, that's what it was. And, 
Um, that sucks. Yeah, and you didn't have Google to where you could just pull up like you hear a new band on the radio and you go, oh, who's these people? And you pull them up and you see a thousand good reviews and they're so, playing live and all this. You know what I mean? You didn't have that. So it was, it was all basically a word of mouth thing. And if with the racial divide in America, these record companies weren't signing the these artists based on that. Absolutely. So the noise wasn't getting out. And this these four prominent record companies within America were the only voice on music in the entire country. Absolutely. So there wasn't any racial divide whatsoever in Britain. No. I mean, I can't. T- did they not have it? Did they, did they not have? Because weren't they the ones that started it, all that in America? So didn't they have that? I mean, themselves? yeah, in the 1700s. He's making a good point. Because I, I, I don't know. I just I wanted to know when did Britain stop the the whole you know civil war type stuff in their country? You know, did, did they? It was much earlier than America. They didn't have. They didn't. They weren't bringing slaves over, and and it wasn't. They didn't have a Delta Blues. I'll right. put it to you that point. Yeah. They didn't have a a plantation, a huge plantation ownership like the Delta in the Blues did. Well, I understand. No. That. I mean the I the, the, the Delta South. You I know understand. what I'm saying? But what the Britons did like, they loved the American sound of the blues. Yeah, correct. So when they had these uh, these these B-rated blues artists. Even the, you know, you know, even the A-rated blues artists are going over there, to, you know, uh, to an extent. Right. They're they're going to the shows, they're, and it was hard not, to find. It's, it's not it's not being ignored by the Britons at all. No. Yeah, you know, they're they're go, they're going to see these guys, and 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 so like that's influencing right there. That's influencing people that are are being born or you know teenagers like Eric Clapton in that time period to to be influenced about starting you know their own sound in like in in britain you yeah. know what i'm saying like going. so like they're 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 being exposed at a very early age to the right Brits, so that the britain uh english blues invasion can can, can begin Absolutely. right and it was interesting too because the the reason it got so big is it was so rare. You know, it was very rare to find these American blues artist records. There was only like three different, I think HMV, EMI, and DECA. Chess. Uh, yeah. And Chess Records. And Chess Records. So they were the only ones that were distributing these these American blues records in the early 50s. Yeah. And But once they, like you said, it spread like wildfire. Once they were listening to it, they saw something different. They recognized a different form of music that could progress while in America that talent was stunted based on color. I think they felt it, you mm-hmm. know, without seeing color they were feeling the music correct you know just yeah. like the, without the bias singing yeah, exactly without the bias Absolutely. they were looking at it from across the room unbiasedly playing and hearing that and they were like wow all right this is right. music right here Absolutely. right good point man yeah 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 that's good stuff and so after recognizing this um t- let's say talent uh, of the american you know blues scene uh, they started coming out with their own version of it, which was a mixture of so quote unquote pseudo American blues, uh, jazz because jazz was nation or worldwide. Everybody had jazz and everybody had folk. I mean that came that was folk came from Europe. That was all European music, and it was called skiffle. I love it. That was called skiffle. That was around and prominent in the early 1950s, and that's where you see your artists uh, like Robert Plant. That's where Robert Plant started. He started playing in skiffle bands, Band of Joy, you know, shit like that. Poetry. Yeah, poetry, yeah. shit Pro, like that. Prose. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, that didn't last long, though. They wanted something more, and you had bands like, you know, The Stones, The Yardbirds, yeah. all these guys, Cream. 
later yeah later, later on yeah, cream yeah, yeah. you know you had these guys that because that's the isn't that the progression of rock and roll you can see it through i mean punk rock thrash metal uh grunge scene progressive black metal all these different things you can see rock musicians always want it harder faster and louder oh yeah that's what they want they want to take it and do something different now when we're talking about the rolling stones the early Rolling Stones were very, very blues, very you know, uh, influenced. I mean, hell, they got their name from what was it? Uh, Muddy Waters. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but if you yeah, take, if you, yeah. take <laughs> if you take what's his face after this, it's after amazing. the uh, drowning, uh, what's his face, Brian, uh, Brian Jones, right. Brian Jones, out of the equation, and insert Mick Jagger and the, and the newer Rolling Stones. Are you really getting to get that that blues overtone, <sighs> or is it is it Brian Jones was who's putting that? He was injecting that blues over. I think they all were because they met Mick. Mick and Keith were were friends first. Uh, they had bumped into each other at a, at a couple of different. Um, well, they were in school together. They was were, that what it was? I thought they had bumped into school. each other. They were in a boarding That's school. It. They were listening to music in forty five, sneaking out outside, and listening to these uh, blues musicians on forty five. Yeah. But, that they uh, got from one of the one record stores, probably in the hundred mile radius. Absolutely, <laughs> you know. So they were out just doing what they were doing, hanging out and listening to this, and that's what they wanted to interpret. And you're absolutely correct, you know. But uh, but I think it might have uh, because what brought them together is their love for the blues. Because Brian Jones, he was a he was a uh, club musician, um, a vagabond and a club musician at uh, Alexis Coroner's club. Um, and Davies, uh, they was at their club because they owned a skiffle club, one of the only ones in the area. And that's how they met Brian Jones is because they were sending Mick and uh, Keith were sending Alexis Corner their tapes. And they were like and they had a house band that was playing predominantly blues. If I can inter- interject one time about the skiffle. Um, now, do you know the actual definition of skiffle? Was that like something like a, like like a, like a uh, like an acapello type thing, or was that like was something with music? No, it was it was it was a music it was a musical style. It was like I said, it was a so kind there of was a, like a guitar and a bass. And a yeah, drum. it was a max up. It was a pseudo. It was a pseudo blues. It was the transition between American Delta blues, which was almost country in in the Britain's eyes. It was a mashup between there, taking a step further, and so it was the in between bridge between the British blues rock and roll rock and roll pseudo movement in the american blues movement skiffle was kind of the bridge into that because they took it and they were like skiffle this is cool but it's still a little slow and little we want a little bit more crunch to this kind of like the juke joint kind of sound exactly i got you absolutely okay yeah so that was kind of a transitional music Genre. I know not a lot of people out here are going to know the skiffle, including myself. I was like, because when you just said that, I was like, what the hell is skiffle? I've never yeah. heard of skiffle at all. It was a weird know? British <laughs> transitional period in, in music in between what you have with the Rolling Stones. Cool. All right. So I guess we can talk about the Rolling Stones a little bit. You're a big Stones fan, Drew, mm-hmm. right? So what do we love about the Stones? Oh, the, the, the sound, the, the sound that they're trying to get into, the rock and roll, get into with the blues. Mm-hmm. It, it is just, it, to me, it sounds heavy. It's, yeah very you feel it you know they, these guys definitely felt it when they were hearing it they definitely wanted to emulate it and they they achieved it and that's what made them big to start off with they were more blues driven than rock and roll they became rock and roll later yes. on in their in their careers than then mm-hmm. no no are you talking about brian jones or are we talking about mick jagger i'm talking about all of them together is together is yeah that's the sound they were okay so mick emulate. jagger and brian jones did perform together oh yeah, yeah. 
I because I don't know. I don't know anything yeah, about nice. that. Yeah, the beauty, that's the beauty of it. That's yeah. the beauty of it, man. Yeah, Brian Jones. He was an intense musical powerhouse. That guy could play everything with strings on it. He, he was very. He was very smart good. about it. He heard blues. He felt it. That's the beauty of of the the British blues explosion. So did, These guys felt it differently than American than right. Americans did. Did, right. Brian, did Brian sing? No, I, he was I a strict musician. So. He was a strict. Okay, musician. so he was before Keith came in. No, no, no. no. No, 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 no. They were both together. Mm-hmm. Brian Jones and Keith were together at one particular time, and they had because Brian he was a very he was a superior musician because um, he played the sitar, he played the harmonica, he played everything. He wrote right. "Paint It Black." Like right. this guy, he was a he was a, by far the superior musician. So he to me, and and I'm sure a lot of people disagree. Brian Jones to me was kind of the father figure musically to Mick Jagger and Keith Richards. I don't know. Keith Richards just, he, I'm going to use the word again. He emulated it. He wanted to sound like the blues. And right. He, and he achieved it. Right. And, and, and like I said, they got popular with it and they, and they made their sound right. their own. But Brian, he was very eclectic. He was very unpredictable. Uh, he was already a vagabond at the time. He was traveling around Europe all the time, getting chicks pregnant, getting in fucking fights. He was uh, not showing up to practice, on, hooked on every drug on the fucking planet. Not to linger on the Stones too much, but Brian Jones, how long was he with the Stones for? Probably, I think it was their first three or four albums. It was their first three or four albums Brian was with them, and then Keith and Mick kicked him out because they were starting to gain momentum. Then getting into the sticky fingers. Yeah, and getting into sticky yeah, fingers and doing yeah, U.S. Yeah. tours. That's, and he, and he, he couldn't even go to the U.S. That's why they booted him, because he, he got, uh, I think it was two drug charges, um, and they denied his work visa. Was it visa. in the U.S.? No, no, no. That was, was in, in the U.K. It was in the U.K. Yeah, and he had crashed like a car through a window and he was already on pending on probation for one drug charge and so he couldn't they denied his work visa to tour the u.s and that's when mick and keith came to him was like look dude you gotta fucking go god i love fucking music. and then then you gotta he, go then he had a suicide yeah his quote unquote well yeah may or may or may not be that bad <laughs> his his, his, drowning. Ish to his yeah drowning. and then he was uh he was replaced by uh mick taylor in 74 um I mean, you got to think about it, too. I mean, think about it. The Rolling Stones compared to the Beatles, which were out before them, not too much longer. And the Beatles didn't even sound like the Rolling Stones. No, no. no. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. It's incredible to me. I mean, it, it's, it's Well, the, Be- the Beatles weren't trying to sound like the, the Rolling Stones. The Beatles at that time, after they got famous, they were trying to sound like more like the Beach Boys. But my point being when I'm saying that is, is that the Beatles were such a, a, an influential band that's how you had to be, you know. Yes, but they continued and shit. But the, the Rolling Stones kind of did that at first. With it, Mick Jagger had that feeling of music, and that's what made that band like they are. With Keith Keith Richards playing the blues, basically, right? That's what separated them, and it, it's just awesome. It's awesome well, it is awesome. About. Let me just say real quick before we continue. Oh. There is a uh, a documentary I just watched on Netflix. It was called um, Echo in the Canyon, and it's got Jacob Dylan. Was it about a pirate hooker over there no, on the Sunset about, Strip? It's about, it's about, it's about Jake, Jacob Dylan. Sorry, I had to fucking say it. It's about Jacob Dylan spearheading the documentary about how the 60s, you know, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Yeah, yeah. You had the uh, Mamas and the Papas. Mm-hmm. You had the Beatles who were influenced by the Beach Boys. And at the same time, the Beach Boys Dick were, getting, Dale, were, getting, baby. were getting influenced by the Beatles. Yeah. So Sgt. Pepper 
that oh, uh, that cool. album would never have came about if the Beach Boys hasn't hadn't come out with oh no way with with their um, latest album yeah um, Animal I forget what they well they had did. mixed their sound because that and and that's that's another rabbit hole but that's exactly right and that's a great point because but no what I wanted to say was if it, if, if people haven't seen Echo in the Canyon. And it's about um, Laurel Canyon in California, which is an awesome place. Yeah. Um, check it out because it's a really cool, cool documentary. Groovy. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a really good point, man. And, and surf rock, the beginnings of surf rock like that, I think that's not as influential, obviously, as the blues. But that is intensely like guys like the Beach Boys and Dick Dale and shit like that. They are intensely influential on rock and roll music. Right. So what yeah. I was trying to say was initially was that the Beach or the uh, the Beatles went for the, the 60s type sound, right? you know, versus going into that uh, Rolling Stones blues type sound. Right. That, that's what I was trying to say. So right. they, they, that's kind of where they went their separate ways. Right. I mean, technically, if you want to, I mean, if we're going to say here, I'd say Revolver, great album with the blues. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, fucking you know? great. Fantastic album. Love that. And also, I want to get, I, I want to get into also at the same time in, Brit, in, in Britain as the Rolling Stones are budding and forming, there's another group that I think focuses I mean, if there was ever a beautiful mixture in a bowl of the Beatles transition, sprinkle some blues in, and then start to mix it up a little bit, the fucking Yardbirds. There we go. Super group. Super group. And I feel like when you listen, like if you close your eyes and listen to the Yardbirds, it's like you almost can hear like if if the Beatles made a blues album. Yeah. That's what it would sound like, the Yardbirds. Yeah. Love it. You know what I mean? They're 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 fantastic, and obviously the the powerhouse guitar players that walked out of there was probably some of the best in the entire world. Ever. And then there was the animals in the animals, oh, of course, House of the Rising Sun, absolutely. But yeah. after the Yardbirds, because we we touched a lot about the Yardbirds last episode, we did. Yeah, they they were they were super influential. For those of you guys that didn't listen to last week's episode, um, there's there's a lot into the Yardbirds. Yardbirds were another bridge band between the American blues and the budding transition into the British blues movement. Um, and that's, you, you know, you wouldn't have Led Zeppelin without the Yardbirds. You wouldn't have Jeff Beck without the Yardbirds. And you wouldn't have Eric Clapton without the Yardbirds. Now, let's, so. let's break that down. We've already broken down a whole episode on Led Zeppelin. Right. So when Jimmy Page left the Yardbirds, mm-hmm. he created Led Zeppelin. Uh, yeah. Okay. So when Jeff Beck left the Yardbirds... Not until years later, he created ELO, which right. is Electric Light Orchestra for people who don't know. Yeah. Mark couldn't wait to make that cameo. He loves ELO. I love it. I love them. They're, <laughs> They're a great band. They're really good. Great, really good band. And Jeff Beck, anything he does is great. Why do, why do you love ELO? Well, I just love that they have that classic sound. It's not completely bluesy, but it still has that big band, you know, like 1960s. 50s type type sound to it especially right. like living's thing absolutely you know that song yeah to me it just it just embodies a yeah. lot of the 50s it's before the know? the psychedelic it's before american american music industry retorted with psychedelic rock right it was still that prime mixture of american blues so, and british rock and roll most importantly when we leave the Yardbirds, it's going to be eric clapton because eric clapton and the and the bass breakers yeah uh, John Mayer. Blues, blues Breakers. John, excuse me. Excuse uh, me. You're all good. I got, I got you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I got you, man. So yeah. you explain to us how that band became who they are to, you know, to, I mean, to the blues. John Mayall, he was a harpist, dude, and he made, he wanted to make a blues band and that's what he did, you know? I mean, Derek and the Dominoes, basically, in my opinion, is right there with it, but John Mayall is very influential when it comes to British blues explosion. So he, if anybody doesn't know, Derek and the Dominoes was also an Eric Clapton 
based band. Absolutely. Before Cream. Then yep. if we bring up Derek and the Dominoes, that's where Eric Lopton got to start with singing the song Layla. Mm-hmm. But John and then Mayall, that was his first his first time singing as well. Yeah, John Mayall used Eric Clapton as a lead guitarist for the blues for that band. Mm-hmm. They, they, he, that's where he got a sound from. That John Mayall knew it. And he loved it. And yeah. John Mayall said, "Hey, Eric, why don't you start singing a little bit?" To be honest with you, think about it. John Mayall and the Blues Breakers were one of the only bands from that British blues explosion that used a harmonica. Mm-hmm. I can't sit here and think of too Which many is, other bands that can you used think of, the harmonica. No, besides a guitar, I can, can think can of an think individual of, person. But, yeah, you but, know but, what I'm saying? Besides, yeah. a, besides a guitar, could you think of an instrument that says the blues more than a fucking harmonica? No. I mean, the no. heart, like you're saying, that's, that's you know, the other you know, white meat for the blues. Right. You know and they, they started using that a lot more over there in Britain uh, with... Cyril Davies when Cyril Davies and Alexis Corner together they started using that a lot more because he was a primary primary harmonica player he played the harp as well but that's when you started yeah that's when you started really mixing it together because and that's why mm-hmm. you know everybody has their different opinions and and they're all true that's the problem like uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're all true when it when it comes to to mixing in the blues like that or who was the godfather of this and who wasn't who who begot what and what begot this Corinthians fucking one eight nine you know what I mean sound garden cornell 1620 you know whatever but but it's it's it all started in in you know from america over there to the skiffle thing and then you know those two guys cyril and 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 alexis they're opening up this blues club and they're starting to pull these american musicians in because remember you were talking about that you know when we were offline is that's how they started the the american artists started getting bigger is they were getting pulled to Britain because that's who made the scene. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you guys were going to talk about how Jimi Hendrix was kind of involved in that whole situation, right? Everybody everybody wants to sit here and think that Jimi Hendrix was started here in in the States, and he wasn't. He was not. He wouldn't get the time of day in the States. He was over in Britain, Mm -hmm. you know, doing time for uh, World War... Two or, probably something like that, and he was doing time. That's where he made his band. A lot of them were over there, so that's what he did. Yeah. You just everybody tends to forget about that. Yeah, and there was an also a time in in Alexis Kerner and Cyril's club over there in Britain when Eric Clapton got to play with Jimi Hendrix. I mean, it's hard to say who who should what. How should I word that? Did you Jimi know, Hendrix get to play with one. Eric Clapton, or did Clapton get to play with Jimi Hendrix? You said it first. first way. <laughs> no, no, no. I, th- oh, I think it on. would be might be the second way around. You no think? Way. You think no Jimmy way. got to play with Clapton? Jimmy was special, man. He had he had that special sauce on his on his flavor of burrito, of baby. You know you've been good. To so me. he agrees the first way. You know, Clapton was with. lucky to to play some some stuff with Jimmy. I, that's how I'm looking at it, man. Because you're right. You're I right. think you're right. I think you're right, man. He was he was one of those shining stars. Jimi Hendrix was one of those shining stars that comes around once every you know century. Yes. Absolutely. You know yes. what I mean? It just and 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 that's what kills a lot of these guys, man. I'm telling you, that's Jimi Hendrix and Joplin and Kurt Cobain. Yeah, all these guys, Brian Jones. You, that's what kills these human beings is they are way too fucking good for their own good they can't handle it they didn't right know it. you can't handle it. it you're just way too much of a savant pioneer way too much of a pioneer just didn't know it um and another thing that i've always loved about eric clapton obviously there's many things that i love about eric clapton but he's much like bob dylan i'm not a big bob dylan fan but look at these two guys you got eric clapton you got bob dylan every single time because how many how many times has eric clapton been huge we'll start there 
Derek and the Dominoes, the Blues Breakers, the Yardbirds, yeah. Solo, all these things, right? right? With just his name. And, and it, yeah, with just his name. And, and he does it every decade. And he'll go, everybody's like, yeah, fucking Eric Clapton. <laughs> fucking Eric Clapton. And he'll go, you guys like what I'm doing, huh? Yeah, I'm going to change it. But, but <laughs> you know, if you go to an Eric Clapton show, his bread and butter is fucking playing a fucking 35, 45 minute oh, fucking right. blues fucking solo. Right. That's his bread and butter. Well, but that- Eric Clapton is God, right? But nobody exactly. knew it until he sang a song. And that's when he exploded, you know, John right. Mayall and the Blue, Blues Breakers. Right. He gave them that opportunity. That's it. But isn't that hilarious, though? Like, he's just like Bob Dylan in that regard. Like, he's with the Yardbirds. Everybody loves fucking Eric Clapton. He's like, you love it? Touché. You love what I'm doing? I'm going to change it, and I'm going to go over here to the he Blues did. Breakers. See, Bob Dylan you know? was famous for lyrics. Eric Clapton yeah. was famous for playing blues licks. Right. That's the difference between the two. Dude, so I'm just going to bring this up, just saying it. What is it? Uh, 461 Ocean Boulevard, where he actually sings uh, the uh, Bob Marley track, you know? Yeah. Shot the Sheriff. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Totally blues that. Yeah. Sounded nailed great. It. No, great. It, nobody mm-hmm. ever did that before he did that, you know? Not, right. Not and no, nobody ever slowed down Layla. Nope. I don't think he can. Interesting. He did for his acoustic set. Oh, slow it, slow it for down MTV, for his acoustic MTV. set. We're talking about Layla. slowing it down weirder. It's just interesting. I mean, the guy he did, he changed a lot of things. He changed music once somebody gave him the shot to sing. Right. Yeah. And he wasn't even in the Yardbirds long. Nope. He was in the Yardbirds for like two years. What happened that. to him when he, he just left? So wh- wh- where did he go? He just went. He went off and went solo for a little bit. And well, nobody and nobody listened to him. After the Yardbirds, ah. he went to John Mayall. Right. He was solo for okay, a very okay. short time, and then he went yeah, to John Mayall and the Blues sta- Breakers. He stayed with the Blues. Yeah. And he played lead guitar. Right. And then when did he, he break off and go to Derek? After that, and then that's when Derek and the Dominoes gave him the opportunity to sing, and then it's the rest is history. The rest is How history. many hits did Derek and the Dominoes have? Not not many. No, nobody. One or two, right? Not many. If that, with okay. or without Clapton, Layla was their hit, right? Yeah. Okay. That, that was, was their it. number one. Absolutely, I think they had like maybe four, four or five albums. So, what made him go from Derek to Cream? He wanted something different. Yep. That's what, and that—that that was my previous Usually point. Usually, what happens with a musician if you can't live with somebody while you're on the road with somebody, and it might have been that, you but want it's to get too the early fuck to away tell. from that person, right? So, a lot of ninety-nine percent of the time, it's not because they're a great musician, but it's because you like them as a friend and you can live with them while you're traveling together but, but it's too early to tell you know what i mean it's that could have been that it could have been a little bit of creative differences but it wasn't so prominent as in you know jimmy hendrix or jimmy page you know leaving the yardbirds I mean, if you think about it it wasn't just, so prominent as if a transition is that you want to progress yeah he wants to do wanna, something he wanna, different he wanted to progress yeah and that's what he was doing and that's the bob dylan sim- syndrome he did the same thing he you know he would oh i'm gonna but, do this and then i'm gonna change it and i'm gonna what, go do this what, now what makes the guys in derrick and the dominoes different than the guys that he came to perform with in cream were any of those guys in cream from Derek and the dominoes besides him with the no i think you're devil no. too far but see, i don't know i'm just asking with these, you guys if you know with these savants they, something could be off like with with jimmy page is a very beautiful and so is jimmy hendrix jimmy hendrix fired so many musicians he left so many different groups and he bounced around until he got what he wanted a lot of solo guys do that a lot of solo because today. they have a sound look at, look at yeah, trent reznor if it wasn't trent reznor for firing the guys from filter exactly filter would never came exactly out. they they have a sound they have an image in their head and if what they're doing in this moment successful monetarily be damned if it's not what they want to do in that particular moment they're not going to do it they can't. They can't handle it as a person. That's why they're still alive. Yeah. And they aren't. So getting there. So we have these albums that these guys made, including Eric Clapton. So what about, I mean, just say bringing it up different. What about 
Led Zeppelin, what do you think their best blues album was when they were formed? Oh, Led Zeppelin 2. Led Zeppelin 2 is a fantastic 100%. blues rock and roll It has explosion. to be because after Led 100%. Zeppelin 2, it just got super fast and fast and fast and fast. Yeah. Like they were just trying to push, 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 push all the way to the end of Led Zeppelin. Then you had Led Zeppelin 3, you know, that album was definitely, definitely bluesy as well. Then you get into what? Uh, Led Zeppelin 4 and then Physical Graffiti yeah. where they started getting more rock and roll. But they were still early days. They were still blues. Per, blues. But if you listen to them from beginning to end, they're going from slow to fast. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's, well, what, that's, mean, what, that's what people wanted. Houses of the Holy is a really bitching album, dude. Fucking my favorite. <laughs> you know, but see, Led Zeppelin 2, I feel like that's a super prominent example of their blues roots because it literally has a stolen fucking song on it. Absolutely. <laughs> Whole lot of love. Well, there's it's a, a couple, fucking Willie Dixon song. There, there's a couple of their songs that supposedly were stolen. Well, they Juice are, runs right. down the leg, man. That's it. We were talking about that earlier. And yeah. Willie Dixon sued them in the 80s yeah. because of, uh, you know, everybody started seeing what, um, I'm not, I don't know if I'm saying is right music infringement like they were yeah. stealing it yeah that's so the first of its kind well, that's when it. it started coming about and we also said this too that it doesn't matter if you, whoever picks up a six string and plays a rock and roll chord right now is stolen it from somebody yeah, we were you just stealing talking, you know what i mean you're, that's right yeah. you're always stealing. and what led zeppelin i almost i can't call it stealing they they borrowed it for a second put it in the dryer and it came out something different because the basis of the song was written but what led zeppelin did to that song was ground shaking. Yeah. yeah. It was yeah. unbelievable. Yes. Did they borrow the basis, the basis of the song and, and the lyric progression from Willie Dixon? Sure. Puts a smile Isn't on that my the face. point? If you take a song from another artist, you want to make it yours. You want to make it better. You don't want to make it right. sound like the original. And you're right. right. And you want to, and you, but yet you want to still incorporate that sound and say, Hey, this is what I'm talking about. Right. Yeah. You want to give them kudos when you're, when you're talking to like the press and stuff right. about Fuck it. But yeah, see, but, but you know, Led Zeppelin, when they started their transition, and I think when all the bands started their transitions, it's same like Cream and Fleetwood and, and, and Zeppelin and all these guys. We'll get to Fleetwood in a minute. But you can see the transition from hyped up rock and roll. And even in the Stones, look at their transition from the 60s to the early 70s. The early 70s is what broke the blues, like the very traditional blues roots. There was still very, I shouldn't say the blues roots. It, it, they, they sped it up. And, and changed it and put some distortion on it and it's made like, it something they, different. They electrified it. That's right. What, they electri- my, great word. My right. favorite song by the Stones is Can You Hear Me Knocking? It's like yeah. a 12-minute like song, but yeah. it's still bluesy. Can they get down and then jamming out, dude. And yeah, yeah. they still break it down to that 12-bar blues. Yeah. Amazing. And nobody else had a 12-minute song like that right. when the Rolling Stones did Can You Hear Me Knocking on Sticky right. Fingers. Right. It was amazing. I think there was what, like two or three tracks on side A on that album yeah. on the vinyl. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, just think about that. Yeah, absolutely, man. And and so, like like we said, the blues is the bassist for all rock and roll. So there was a point in the uh, British blues invasion where it kind of the, the the well kind of dried up. And that's what I mean. I think it was the late sixties. And so I think what, when the late what, 60s what happened was is that okay all these bands were coming in from Britain and they were all throwing like crazy blues like you know traditional blues licks and all kinds of you know you know influenced blues you know uh, improv and stuff and then mm-hmm. it kind of just dried up mm-hmm. but then 
America kind of just stepped back and said, hey, we still have it. Hey, so that's cool, guys. We still, we, we, yeah, we originated the blues. So we're going to come back and we're going to, we're going to, you know, keep coming with it. You know what I'm saying? So right. like we kind of embraced it from, from Britain and kind of said, okay, you know, Eric Clapton, keep fucking playing for us because we fucking like you. You know what I'm saying? Like right. he, he never fucking died. You know what I'm saying? Well, the, it's just it's just keeping up with the Joneses is what it boils down to. It, and it's that fucking thing that America and Britain have done all throughout time with music. It's, okay, uh, the British started something. Because where, where did music go from the British blues explosion? Where did it go? It went to the American psychedelic rock explosion of the mid to late 60s. It's right, always a back right, and forth. Right. Then it went to the British punk scene started forming in the mid 70s right. and then back over back to the US with the thrash metal scene. It was just, it's a constant. But then if you flash forward to the 80s and the 90s and then you have right. fucking, you know, Vi and fucking mm-hmm. Vaughn and fucking oh, you know Bonamassa even to today, you know. Bonamassa. Like, I mean, Joe Bonamassa. He's not getting credit worth credit's due because he's still fucking out there touring, you know what I'm saying? He's still trying to prove himself even right. though he's been proving himself since he was 12 or fucking years old. <laughs> right. So with back to the, we're, we're going off in rabbit holes, which I love. I love it. It's so easy to do with blues with, because it's such a broad spectrum. It's like the force blues is like the force. It's all around you. It's Dude, in it everything, is. you know, it is. It, <laughs> I, I want to say this real quick. There are two people. That Don't say it quickly. A lot of say people, it elongated. A lot of people forget that you can obviously say the big name, which, which is Jeff Beck. A lot of people forget about Jeff Beck. Yeah. And I'm sitting here thinking about Eric Clapton. All right. Yeah. There were these albums that were made by Chess Records, all yeah. right, where there were musicians, they, they handpicked them, and Eric Clapton, like uh, Hallam Wolf, and they did an yeah. album with uh, Muddy Waters, yeah. and there were a couple of them. Uh, uh, there were like, I'm wanting to say four or five, but I always forget to bring up this man's name, and his name is Steve Winwood. He was a pianist ah. dude that played a lot and was always with a lot of these bands that played the piano. I'm, I'm looking at it right now. It, Bring me to higher love. He is a great musician. <laughs> everybody knows he's everybody a Everybody forget. I just exactly. thought about it right now. Exactly. A lot of people forget about that, man. And he is a really good pianist. Goes with the blues. Steve Winwood was a great musician. Right. Started, I'm just bringing it up. You're right. Oh, yeah. You're, you're totally right. right. You're totally right. I mean, he was famous in the 80s for his solo stuff. All right. For a couple, the but one a, album. he a t- lost but, musician. But, but you, well, yeah, but, but before that, he was totally a blues guy. Yeah, the whole well, the and whole, the piano thing. The piano. Now, don't don't get me mistaken. Don't think that that jazz doesn't play with the blues at all, because that's another good point about the blues. Is in the mid '40s, it shifted from that Delta blues sound. You know, stringing, putting chicken wire up on nails on the side of the house and playing at juke joints. It shifted to the Chicago blues scene, which was very heavily piano oriented. Yes. Oh, it was big because band. they were playing in front of it was big just, band. It was right. big band. It was they were playing count ba- it, fucking bassy with the blues. Basically. Yeah, because they 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 finally had a following and they started. They were like, well, we can't fit a fucking grand piano in this shed that everybody's drinking in. And so we got. They're starting to play in front of big audiences, so they need big band, big Love sound. And it. so piano is a very huge uh, influence in blues music, and that's a great point. Fantastic point. So I just had to bring that up yeah, for a second. You know? Absolutely. He's always been there. Had to, had to say it. So yeah. Any, we're, we're, I, th- I think we, we're I don't forget. think we're done with Clapton yet. We haven't talked much about Cream. We've broached the subject that he was in Cream. Blind Faith. Yeah. I think, I a think blind, was, faith, right? blind Faith. Blind uh, Faith. 
great album uh definitely an album cover that was uh that'll never be forgotten no especially when it was released yeah exactly <laughs> a lot of them dabbled with that shit too like weird crazy album art that's what i miss about albums and that's one of the things i appreciate about tool because they keep that because back that in what the you 60s, appreciate about tool that's what i appreciate about mm, tool messy. uh so i do want to talk about Tool's cream another day buddy that's another day another dog another fight <laughs> an entirely different ring <laughs> but uh i do want to talk about cream a little bit so we talked about the ever so evasive uh eric clapton no band can lock this man down uh but he was with cream for a little while he was with cream for i think four years they released now, three four albums four studio albums now if you guys listen to cream like listen the cream yeah besides their you know uh what is it the two the two hits that they had they had uh, strange brew and uh well no they had strange brew okay three so they had strange brew they had white room and yeah and they had um there was, white room there was another one. There was one more. That was, sitting on top of the world that was a good one yeah that's a good. That's a good um, song. No, sun, sun, sunshine of your love. A sunshine of your love. That right. was the other one I was thinking of. Well, so now if you take those three songs basically, yeah, and then if you listen to all their B sides, is it going to be all blues? Because I'm not familiar with a that. lot of their songs are because they bounce around because this and this is why I bring up Cream and why they're so uh, to me they're so influential because you remember before we spoke about the bridge between the '60s and the '70s, right? Being the uh, the bridge being the transition right. from blues-oriented rock and roll to the American psychedelic rock and roll. Now, to me, what the 60s to the 70s brings, okay, so like there's two sides to that. There is people playing Les Paul, Gibson Les Paul guitars, and then there's people playing the uh, Rickenbacker guitars. Right. Okay, so the Rickenbacker guitars, if people don't know, has a little bit of a hollow body. Right. It sounds like more like the Mamas and the Papas. Right. Like we talked about the Beach Boys, yeah. that type of guitar sound. Right. Versus heavier bluesier rock and roll right stuff exactly where that's where cream kind of came in right and that's one of the big reasons why eric clapton quit because him and jack or ginger but not jack bruce but him and ginger baker got together and were like this is too fucking loud so this was their transitional period this is this is a little bit of a segue this call this eric clapton musical puberty Okay. Is what Cream yeah, okay. was. Okay, he took a couple years and did something weird because from he was only they they put out four studio albums from 1966 to 1969, right? Absolutely. And this was the bridge between the blues-oriented rock and roll into the psychedelic thing was the late 60s, early 70s, because Fresh Cream came out in 66, and then their final fourth studio album, Goodbye, came out in 69. In between that, you had Disraeli Gears and Wheels of Fire, Fire. you know, and Irish Cream. Okay. Irish cream. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The Bailey's album, the yeah, Bailey's right. edition with triple green. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so like if you listen to sunshine of your love yeah. or strange brew, those are very much psychedelic rock and roll songs. Right. Very much Booker hard TV, rock. Right. And so essentially at the end, when they wrote, when they were writing goodbye, they were touring nonstop. Cream was non fucking stop. Uh, they played Woodstock, didn't they? I don't think so. No. I don't think Cream played Woodstock. So no, Clap no, no. Clapton was not a Woodstock. I don't believe Clapton. I think they played, I think you're thinking of the Isle of Wight Festival. Maybe. In England. Maybe, yeah. They yeah. played that. It's, it's still going on today, by the way. Yeah. Um, so when they, when they were writing the Goodbye album, obvious, obviously that's, you know, yeah. satirical of what's going to happen. Uh, so Ginger Baker and Eric Clapton got together, and once again, the ever-so-evasive Clapton goes, this is not what I want to do. I want to go back to the basics. I want to go back to my roots, 
which is why he left cream ginger baker went off the fucking deep end and moved to africa and like rode giraffes and shit uh you know r.i.p ginger baker just died recently um and so that is when eric clapton like i said it's his kind of his musical puberty years he took a second to go do a little bit of something different realized he didn't like it and he came back to the blues the blues pulled him right back in so that, is right that when in. he went to his solo? That's right. Okay. That's when he went full solo. Then he had Crossroads and Cocaine. That's right. After Midnight. And, That's right. You know. That's when the birth of Slowhand came. Ocean Boulevard. Is That's it. Morning. The birth of Slowhand Clapton. That's it. Yep. And well, hey, hey. Do you guys remember where Slowhand, the nickname, came from? I no. don't. Tell me. Enlighten me. So when Eric Clapton was playing bef- by himself in a band before the Yard- in, the, in the bathroom? Before when the, he was playing before by Before the Yardbirds. He was playing in England, right? <laughs> Before he was known that that well. (laughs) So he would break a string on stage Mm -hmm. constantly every time he played live. So he would, instead of saying like, you know, okay, guys, give me one second. We're going to take a hiatus. He would stay on stage, take the string and and do that right in front of everybody and and put a string back on on the guitar. And so when that was happening, all the British people would be like, (laughs) and it would be a slow clap. So therefore, that's why he, he, he gained the nickname Slow Hand. Real quick, don't British people always clap at the same time over there? Like, you know, that's over here. We're like, ah, clap, clap, clap. British people, don't they like clap all at the same time? I don't know, I, man. I, I don't know. But, they do but, funky but, stuff. But they were doing there. that while he was chasing his string on his guitar, and that's where he got the nickname. Fair enough. Fair enough. Maybe they clap like this. I don't know how British thank people you. clap. Thank you for that. But thank you for that enlightening well, yeah, piece, yeah, of, yeah, like that. piece of history. Yeah, yeah. I do like that because I love Eric Clapton. I do. I just love him. He's don't just blind, so great. I don't blind you. So let's let's talk about another influential blues band, and I know you know who this is. Please. Fleetwood Mac. Oh yeah. Fleetwood Mac. A lot of people believe that Fleetwood Mac is Stevie Nicks. It's all the Stevie Nicks years. That's actually the very latter half of Fleetwood Mac. She came later. Yeah, she came much later. Much, much later. So let's talk about Fleetwood. That's one of your favorite bands, Drew. Absolutely. absolutely. So let's talk about Fleetwood. So do you guys know how the members' names? Because I'm, I'm a little. Confused. Well, you obviously have the drummer. All right? Yep. Mick yeah. Fleetwood. Mick Fleetwood. Yeah. Peter Green. Peter Green, guitar and then, player. And then they're, they're, Are you talking? They're, they've changed lineup, dude. It's you cannot. Multiple. I can't. Okay, so give me the guitar player, guys. Uh, Peter Green. Peter Green. And give me another another one. Yeah. Mick Fleetwood. The and drummer. And another one. Uh, there was a second guitarist, Jeremy Spencer, and bassist, John McVie. And I'm talking about the guy. <laughs> Is this who you're talking I'm about? I'm talking about the guy who created the soundtrack for the um, National Lampoon's Vacation. He came up with the Holiday Road song. Are you talking about the young kid, like Danny Kerwin? No. No. Holiday Danny Kerwin Road was the third was, guitarist. Holiday Road was created by one of the members, the founding members of Fleetwood Mac. I just can't think of his name. I have no idea. You've right. got you've stumped the chump on that one. No, no, I've I, got Google right here in front of you. Let's do it. Right Google it. Let's get shit Because now I'm I'm beautifully intrigued. Holiday Road. Holiday Road. Are you doing this because of the time? Lindsay Lindsay Wagner is that his name? Lindsay Buckingham. Lindsay Buck. That's exactly it. He's not a founding member. He came way later. That was okay. All right, but he wrote Holiday Road. Now now. A lot of people know that. That's yeah, a little tidbit of information. Yeah. On Lindsay Mac. Buckingham was a was a combo deal with Stevie. Stevie, yeah, yeah they, they, they were like they were a thing. Yeah. What was that meme I always read? It's like you know Stevie Nicks was like the baddest bitch in rock history because she broke up with her man, then made him play guitar for her for two years. <laughs> <laughs> she left her man, her boyfriend for another man, and made him play guitar you for her for two witch. years. Yeah, so great. So Fleetwood has an amazing history. And, and probably one of the more I didn't realize how 
eclectic these these guys and gals history was until I started getting into them. To me, they're influential. Uh, yeah, on many aspects. Everybody knows the name Fleetwood Mac, dude. Right. And, and nobody knows what they were before. Yeah. Uh, the pop they were, before they were pop. Right? Yeah. They they were an influential blues mm. band, and nobody understands that, nor even thinks about it. Yeah, they, Peter Peter yeah. Green was just amazing with Mick Fleetwood doing it. They were just blues. Now all something the way. something interesting that you may not know, uh, you probably know Drew. I don't know if you know Mark, but where where did uh, where did uh, Peter Green come from before he started Fleetwood Mac? Ooh, come on, John Mayall and the John Blues Mayle Breakers. And the blues breakers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Peter Green replaced Eric Clapton when Eric Clapton left. Mm -hmm. And so Peter Green broke off from John Mayall and the Blues Breakers Mm -hmm. to form Fleetwood Mac with Mick Fleetwood. And they kicked Peter Green out because he was just getting crazy. Yeah. So they they had a bunch of crazy shit go on. They picked up the young 18-year-old guitar player, uh, Danny Kerwin, in 1968. He was the third. He was the third guitar player. Uh, and, and so at this time they're, they start writing their first album, which was their self-titled album, which was released by Blue Horizon in February of 68. That was a fucking, if you ever want to hear some real, really good blue British blues, rock and roll, go listen to Fleetwood Mac's original self-titled album from 68. I'm going to listen to that tonight. That's my pick tonight. Yeah. Another great record label is Polydor, which I do believe that they're on and their second album, which was their best of. This is off Polydor. Yeah. Great, great, great record uh, label. Yeah, and they were. The thing is, is uh, they were huge in the UK. Fleetwood got big in the UK because uh, their self-titled album went number four on the UK charts. Um, and along those same lines in '68, which is something that some people probably don't know, is what you talked about before the show. Is they they wrote "Black Magic Woman." Woman. You can't. Yeah, you can't deny it. Santana didn't write that. Nope. That's crazy. Man, Isn't that crazy? Fantastic. Yeah. Everybody, Santana does that, man. He just, does that. He takes a lot of people's songs and reworks them the, and stuff. The man but it's good. Guitar. Man can, can play guitar. He can play guitar. I love his spinoff on things. Absolutely. You know, like it, he just uh, who else? Who else does that a lot? He just there's always a cameo of Santana. I'll be listening to like a weird album and and I see a song featuring Santana. I'm like, what the fuck, he's, dude? He's Carlos, you're everywhere, dude. He's gotta so, be so, at least the top twenty five guitar players of all time. Oh, I would agree with that. Yeah, I can agree. With Carlos Santana, man, he is fucking amazing. Out of curiosity, Stevie Nicks didn't show up until uh, the Muscle Shoals recordings. Is that right? No. Uh, I don't think so. No. You guys know I'm talking uh, about Sound Muscle, Sh- Muscle yeah. Shoals. Sound City. Sound City. Sound yeah, City. Sound City. Muscle Shoals actually get back to uh, the Rolling Stones. But no, the Brown she Sugar was, she, Woman was, she was in there, though. The, the Fleetwood Mac was in Muscle Shoals as well. Maybe. Maybe they wrote yes, they were. there. Have you seen both documentaries? Yes. Yes. So you're, you, I'm right, right? I'm, I'm telling you right now, Stevie Nicks wasn't introduced till at least Sound City. Yo, yeah. Stevie was introduced in Sound City. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow, but I think she's... Okay, okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm mixing, yeah. yeah. Her I'm and Lindsey Buckingham. Has, well, how the story goes is Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie were recording at Sound City and Fleetwood, uh, Mick Fleetwood was there, and he was listening to them record, and he was like, dude, that's yep. fucking great. Okay. okay. Hey, well, you guys want to fucking do it? You know By what I mean? By the way, if you've never seen Sound City documentary, watch it. It's fantastic. That's where a lot of big bands started. As well as Mus- Muscle Shoals. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, that's a great uh, documentary as well. Uh, Dave Grohl actually has all of the original music equipment, well, the, the sound, analog the, music the, equipment. The soundboard, yeah. The soundboard yeah. from yeah. Sound City, because that's does. where Nirvana started. That's correct. And that's where Soundgarden started, and that's where... 
lot of bands. A lot started. of bands started. Rage Against the Machine started there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely. And so Fleetwood, they also uh, Chess Records. That's where they were with. Um, and they started uh, including some songs with different menagerie of blues artists. Like they did some Willie Dixon stuff, Buddy Guy. They did some stuff with Buddy Guy, Otis Spann. Um, yep, they did a lot of stuff with them. And then they started doing a lot of touring, and they finally made it over to the U.S. in the very early 70s. Absolutely. Late 60s, early 70s is when they finally uh, – it was at, it was January 69 is when they started playing in the U.S. And very shortly after that, like Drew was saying, Peter Green in 1970 – he had a, a really bad dependency on LSD, and so he. How could you have a dependency on that though? I don't know, man. Like, there's a there's a lot of a you lot can't of get shit addicted out there. To that. I don't think it's a chemical addiction. I think it's one of those things like a like where you, you're addicted to the rabbit hole. You're you're addicted right. to a different reality. Like, like he's he he lives in that that, right. that area for his music, and right. so like he, he can't produce his music without right. being on. Right. It. It's it, it, for I a very in in how I how I simplify it for myself is a very ignorant and simplified version which is every morning i start my day off with a cup of coffee i couldn't imagine i go no to bed way. right i go to bed i'm so stoked to get up in the morning to have that first cup of coffee i couldn't imagine not waking up and spending my day without that first cup of coffee and i think that's kind of essentially what happened to peter green he became not chemically that would drive dependent. me fucking absolutely insane yeah not chemically dependent on lsd but he was addicted to his his routine. His routine and the world he lived in on LSD. To get to his music Correct. plateaus. Yep, and so you can see that with Jim Morrison as well. Just to say this, Green was a major figure in the second great epic British blues movement. B.B. King commented, he was the sweetest tone. He has the sweetest tone I've ever heard. Yeah. Eric Clapton praised his guitar playing. 58 yeah. out of the top 100 guitar players of all time. Peter Green? Yeah, he's fantastic. Yeah. It, people don't know that about Fleetwood Mac. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool. And uh, Jeremy yeah. Spencer, the other guitar player, let's talk about another fucking weird thing that happened. So Peter Green's gone now. He's He was addicted to LSD. Not addicted, but he... Was he didn't want to play music anymore? He wanted to do LSD. To do, yeah. You know, uh, so in in uh, February of seventy one, guitarist Jeremy Spencer said he was going out to get a magazine and went out and joined the Children of God cult and never was seen again. <laughs> never returned to band to the band. He just fucking left. He just I mean, left. It was the sixties we're talking about, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Sixties, so early, very early seventies. Nobody knew who Jim Jones was and the Kool Aid oh. down. You know. So nobody knew who these, you know, these cult leaders were. So they were yeah. popping up. You know, Charlie Manson was popping up. Jim Jones was popping up. So I'm sure there was like, you know, other knockoffs. Like this guy joined that that group. So I mean, you, you can't fault him for joining. But at the same time, it's like it's like really you fell for that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And so we'll we'll move forward a little bit. There was a lot of back and forth with uh, Fleetwood, and 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 as it pertains to the British blues uh, movement. They started altering their sound much like everybody did in the late 60s. They still used the blues as the basis of their writing process, but they started adapting the more psychedelic rock and roll sound um, as, as was, was progressive of the time. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Because there wasn't a lot of people that stuck to their guns, i.e. Eric Clapton. You know, he, at that time period, there wasn't a lot of people back then that were like, this is what I play. And this is all I'm going to fucking play. And I'm going to leave the, the last three powerhouse groups I was in because nah, I don't want to play that shit. He was just a record in rotation. Yeah. Okay. And he, he liked what he liked and he wasn't fucking sacrificing himself for anybody. Yeah. Kind of like Paul McCartney. He fucking did what he wanted to do. And, and Steven Tyler, he does what he wants to do. And I'm not doing fucking shit. Trent Reznor, they all do it. 
Solo, um, solo clapping didn't kind of like transpire really until like the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's when he started getting, you know, I mean, he was always big in the right circles. He was. But he wasn't, a, you know, He wasn't like getting a, nationally like yeah. fame. You weren't seeing Clapton on MTV or anything. Exactly. You know, but exactly. So what you're talking about. Wonderful tonight. And what a lot of people want to hear is the story and how Fleetwood became the rumors Fleetwood Mac that everybody knows and loves. So like we talked about in uh, mid-75, Fleetwood was in L.A. checking out Sound City Studios, and the sound engineer was recording uh, Buckingham Knicks. They were recording them, and they Fleetwood heard them, and he went up to Lindsey Buckingham and was like, hey, man, you got it. Because at this time, they're going through personnel changes, like fucking costume changes at a play. you know. And they're like, okay. And Lindsey's like, well, I will. But my girlfriend has to come with me. Oh shit! Are which we, was are, now are we starting to talk about the American blues explosion? The, the American this, blues dude? explosion a little bit kind of reverses itself. It kind of reverses itself because <laughs> then America's like, oh man, look what's going on over there in Britain. This is oh, cool shit. now. We're gonna take all these artists that were originally flying to Britain to get big. Ten to fifteen, twenty years later, here we go. Here that's we it, go, and we're it. coming right back. Yeah, exactly. And so Stevie, uh, Stevie, and Lindsey Buckingham are now in Fleetwood Mac. Uh, with uh, Christian or Christine McVie, former Christine Perfect, which was John McVie's wife. Now they end up breaking up. Well, Christine McVie also married Paul McCartney later on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, this was the start of the Fleetwood Mac that everybody knows and loves. And the the second this is funny to me that the band this is one of the only bands that I know that has two self titled albums. Fleetwood Mac has a self-titled album in 1968 with the original lineup, and then Fleetwood Rage Against the, the Machine, the reborn, oh, no, uh. the reborn. <laughs> what was that? Was there Rage Against the Machine? Did they have two self-titled albums? No, just one. Oh, okay. Sorry, <laughs> I'm just being stupid. Oh, okay. So, and then 75, when Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks came to the band, they had another That's self-titled fucking album. Fucking awesome. Isn't that, that awesome? Crazy. Fucking awesome. Two self-titled albums. Two self-titled albums, uh, almost 10 years, apl- uh, 10 years apart, almost. That sounds That's of bitches. Fucking, awesome. fucking crazy. And this is, uh, you know, there was, I think, six or seven other studio albums following Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie. But you know everybody. You know you know the story. Stevie Nicks ends up breaking off. But so Fleetwood, the uh, the second self titled album of whoa, Fleetwood whoa, 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 back whoa, whoa. in seventy five. Back up, back up, back up. Stevie Nicks breaks off. Yeah. To go solo. Yes. And then what happens to Fleetwood? They continue they just continue to do, doing right? their thing, man. <laughs> Being the adaptable band that they are. But nobody listens to them anymore I mean, because other, everybody's what? going to Stevie's solo shit. That's other, right. Other than what the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, they're one of the continuously. <laughs> Going rock and roll bands. Of all That's time. right, and so the fleet. When you when somebody says, "Hey man, do you like Fleetwood Mac?" You're they're gonna go. The the modern the normal human being is gonna go. Of course I do. Course yeah, I that do. So that album Rumors was amazing. Absolutely. You know what I mean? It's it's the 1975 to 1977 Fleetwood Mac that everybody knows. Yep. But nobody knows that they were a prominent figure in the British blues movement. There's a song on their second album, Mr. Wonderful, which is yes. a compilation. It's called They Call Me Dr. Brown. If you ever want to yes. listen, listen to that song. Mr. Yes. Wonderful from WWF. Stop. No, it's not <laughs> WWF anymore, bro. Right? Yeah. No, what? that was a great, that, that was a beautiful um, album, though. Absolutely. That, that was a very prominent example of British blues explosion as well. I'd, I'd have it to was. say... It didn't showcase their best material, no. which their first album definitely did. It, yeah, it definitely gave it a, a a best of, which the other songs were released before that they yeah. were live. So, Mr. Wonderful is 
you know, it's a compilation. And that's a good Peter Green album. That's a good Peter Green. I mean, the side two to to Mr. Wonderful, you've got Even in Boogie and, and Lazy Poker Blues. I mean, that's... And I'm actually going to sit here and say I'm pretty sure that Lindsey Buckingham got with Peter Green again and did another they album did. with him not they too did. long ago. I don't know how long ago it was, but it they did. It wasn't too long ago. Yeah, because Peter Green kind of woke up years a few years after leaving yeah. Fleetwood or getting kicked out of Fleetwood and he started making music again yeah you know so it was uh anyway so that is a I know it doesn't seem brief as it is an hour but that is a semi-brief explanation of how the American uh, Delta blues and Chicago blues scenes transitioned into the British blues move, movement which would blossom into psychedelic rock and roll and classic role a classic rock and roll as you know it. It all ties together is like Legos. Everything is, is this gonna symmetrical. Be a whole new topic? It's going to be a whole new topic, and we're going to feel that topic out after we after we shut down. Uh, but anyway, if you guys ever want to check out the show live, go ahead and go over to our Facebook page. That's Rock Isn't Dead. It's Just Sleeping Facebook page. We do every episode live there. If you have any show ideas, please reach out to me at WillieWhiteBread69 at gmail.com. We're going to give away another T-shirt around here. And we're going to give away another T-shirt very soon. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, I want to thank Delta Drew for coming back out. And I hope to have him for many more, many more episodes. We're going to change his name when we go to something else. Cool with that. Yeah. Go over to Psychedelic Rock. We'll call you something crazy then. I've been called worse things. (laughs) Like like Dinged Out Drew or something. I don't know. Drippy Drew. Drippy Drew or something. We'll figure it out. But anyway, uh, that's it for this week, guys. We love you and we will be back. Bye, guys.